for there shall be another vision for the appointed time, said the prophet Habakkuk, and it shall speak of the end, it shall not fail, though it tarry, wait for it, for it shall surely come, it shall not delay, and the righteous shall live by his faith. Ah, Rabboni Sha'olam, Lord, give us the strength to have a little bit of vision and faith that indeed the good will come. I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is the Jewish Heroism Project. I am sitting here with a dear friend, mentor, and teacher, Rav Aaron Liewitz, head of the Chupot Initiative, uh, man of many talents, social revolutionary extraordinaire. Rav Aaron, it's always great to get to speak, if not actually sit in the same room with you. It's great to be here with you again, Rav Mike. I wish we had more pleasant topics to discuss, but it's um, but uh, you know, I find that um, I find that you and I tend to bring out the best in each other's thoughts. So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Well, Bizarre Tashem, I know that uh, last time we spoke, it's hard to believe it was about a month and a half, month, month and a half ago. And the title of the show that we did was War at War. And, you know, we still are. And yet we're in the middle of a very complicated situation. If people aren't aware, if you happen to have been, I don't know, on Mars or living in a cave underneath the, you know, Arctic ice sheet or something, um, then you may be unaware that there is currently a ceasefire, a ceasefire that um, is complicated. And I'm not going to go into the politics or the military side because that's not my forte. But on the on the simplest level, it was a decision by the Israeli government to cease its campaign to destroy Hamas in order to have some hope of returning our hostages. And I actually want to speak to you a little bit or hear your thoughts on a on a very specific outcome that I see happening from this ceasefire. Um, and that's demoralization. You know, so it's it's a more word that that gets used. And just recently I had a realization that I want to share with you and, and hear your thoughts is that demoralization relates to morality. And in the specific case, my sense is that there was a moment of moral clarity that came in the wake of the Simchat Torah massacre. And and whatever action people felt should flow from that moral clarity, I would say that that moral clarity is there is a such thing as an evil and that the response to evil is that it must be defeated. And I feel that in light of the complications, and I'm not passing judgment, I'm not taking sides, obviously you're well aware that the discourse in Israel is really quite divided, not on returning the hostages, of course, but on whether the ceasefire is the best way. But my sense is that there's a, a, a creeping demoralization amongst many Jews I speak to because of that loss of moral clarity. That demoralization comes actually when we don't feel we have a strong moral guide in the messy and complicated situations we face. But wait, my question's not there yet. Because what I see oftentimes is that out there in the world, there's a lot of demoralization. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's trite to speak about the demoralization of the West right now in the sense of the loss of moral fabric and the rise of uh, relativism, if not downright nihilism. But there's a there's another side to this equation. And that is I see many people, when they feel the threat of demoralization, reach for what I might call radicalization. A moral simplicity, a moral clarity, which is gained by constructing um, a binary world in which they are good and their opponents are evil, as opposed to accepting the existence of evil and struggling with the fact that once evil exists in the world, in theory, it exists everywhere and anywhere, including within ourselves, which doesn't, of course, excuse our responsibility of fighting it, but does make it a lot more complicated. And what I'm wondering is this. Is there an alternative? 
between demoralization and radicalization. And um, if you think that there is, how would you call people to that alternative? What What's the path ahead if we don't want to simply give up on the moral clarity that we've gained, but we're not willing to reduce the world to overly simplistic pictures to gain power at the expense of other aspects of morality? So I'm letting your question sink in a bit. I hit you with a big one right off the bat. Maybe I maybe I should have warmed you up, but I can't I cannot tell you enough the pain that I feel within myself of a refusal to give in to the loss of that moral clarity, but the yawning temptation to just fall into hate and and the alternate power that that offers. And that's really on a personal level what's what's driving my question. I mean, I'll say that the danger of hate of, of hatred and anger isn't only that it um, it takes one to an extreme. Personally, I I, I um, tend towards a uh, moderated worldview as being um, as being preferable to um, to an extreme one from, from a theological perspective. So that you know when we feel drawn to uh, to an extreme right position or an extreme left position, we have to ask ourselves questions like. Um, you know, how do we discount half of the half of the uh, political or ideological map completely, or how do we um, how do we um, disregard the fact that we have a tradition of elu elu elokim chayim and of and of um, tension, you know, holding tensions, whether it's a kabbalistic vision or whether it, so that's a whole theological discussion. But I think that it's it's very important because that's that's um. It points out that when we're drawn to an extreme, um, there's there's likely a lot we're missing. Uh, if we if we you know have have a sense of faith in humanity, and and over there, um, I think that that word faith is the other important piece over here. It's crucial for us to have to have clarity not only of our of, of our values. And not only on the difference between light and dark, but it's important for us to have clarity in our in what it is that we believe in, and I think and um, and and who we believe in and who we don't believe in. And I think that that's a lot of what what people are struggling with right now. I think that the deep source of demoralization is um, is a lack of faith in our leadership. Oh yeah, and I think that it's so it's a, it's an understandable lack of faith. I believe it's also a warranted lack of faith but even for someone who would claim it's not warranted i would at least argue it's understandable after what we've been through um and um and when we don't have faith in our leaders we can't place our trust in the decision makers then the question becomes where do we place our trust and and when we don't have a clear answer to that then it, it brings up fear and fear often um is much more palatable um, if if it's if it's translated into anger and um, and so the challenge is a challenge to have an open heart. The challenge I think is to is to identify our fear and to ask ourselves what can we place our trust trust in. And for me, the answer is a is one answer with two sides, um, and it's um, I place my trust in God, and I place my trust in 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 humankind or or perhaps in life. Those I think are two ways of saying the same thing. Um, and now the problem with 
stating that with an open heart is that it's self-evident that trust in humankind or trust in God don't guarantee that you're not going to go through hell. Uh, um, I, I want to ask you a simpler question. How on earth can you have faith in humanity right now? I mean, forget our enemy and 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 the horrific, barbaric, incomprehensible things they did. But when I when when I look out there in the world, I see a rising tide of Jew hatred. I see um, a a world of willful lies piled on top of misconception and misconstrual on top of just wholesale fabrications and not always by ignorant people. It seems to me a stretch. I would say that my lack of faith in humanity right now is as warranted as the lack of faith in the leadership. I mean, do you really expect people to have faith in humanity, right? Jews specifically to have faith in humanity right now? I hear that I hear that question from a lot of people, but I think it's a misunderstanding of what what I'm saying. Okay. Um, having faith in humanity doesn't mean doesn't mean having faith that that human beings will be good consistently. I mean, having faith in humanity is having faith that humanity as a whole will find its way to the light within the process of of of, of within this world that God created. And the reason it's important for me to state it also as a faith in humankind and not only as a faith in God is because right now I'm also very engaged in looking for the common ground with the faithful uh, human beings who don't believe in God. And I think that that common ground, the faithful Jews who don't believe in God, I think having that common ground is crucial. Amen. When we were learning a facil- group facilitation, it would be something like trust the process so that if you're facilitating a group and things are falling apart and there are people in the group who are looking to, to just, you know, build power for themselves, you know, you can watch in a, in a small group process, you can watch exactly the same process that we're going through as a society now. There are the people who are completely self, self-involved and the people who are power hungry and the people who are insensitive and the people who don't have open hearts and the people who are, who are cruel. And yet, um, as a facilitator, you're taught when you're working with a group of people is trust the process because the group is capable of finding a way towards a constructive cohesiveness which will which will be beneficial for it, and um, and I think that that's that's the place where where um, I think having clarity of the fact that that um, we've been in very dark places, our people, um, as has the world been in very dark places, and yet when you look at the trend of history, we seem to be learning and growing. Now it's true that it's devastating when we see that we're still capable of things that we thought that we, that, that, that we would like to think are you know no longer no longer exist, um, and yet um, there's something in our people, and you know I would argue that even even those who um, who want to take God out of the picture um, have to you know have to question whether they're going to subscribe to our tradition that the world will eventually find its way to peace to utopia that is a jewish value that is a jewish that is, that is a, a core value of the jewish people is an optimistic orientation um, towards the process as a whole and um and i think that's a very important to hold and i think that it get it what it, what it allows for it allows for a um a resilience it allows for a compassion. Um, it allows for 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 um, for for sorrow to be present um, and instead of anger. Um, sorrow that 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 we've lost our way, 
um, in a in a um, in a horrific in a horrific manner, and um, and sorrow for for the um, for the lack of lack of leadership that we have, and the clarity that uh, you know I will choose nonetheless. I will choose to be optimistic that. That, that we're going to figure this out, that we're going to figure this out. And I feel like that that's crucial. I feel like otherwise we lose the ability to, um, to keep breathing. And if we lose the ability to keep breathing, then we lose, the, we lose the ability to think. And if we lose the ability to think, we can't respond. If we can't respond appropriately. We end up responding inappropriately. We end up lashing out. The question <laughs> is the, whether there's an alternative between demoralization, which I'm defining as a lack of moral clarity that that um, erodes one's ability to act and radicalization, which provides what I would characterize as a false clarity, but nonetheless is empowering in terms of his ability to act. And if I heard you correctly, you're saying that one has to have not only faith, but a faithfulness to the process, the human process, not necessarily humanity as, as a, uh, this person and that person, but humanity as as a divine project, which yes. which which um is an expression, in my understanding, of the divine desire for relationship. And and if that's the case, then then just like a good facilitator, who when everything's falling apart around them, you can look the group in the eye and say, "I believe in you." That you're saying the alternative is to look humanity in the face and say, "Yeah, I know exactly what you're doing, and I still believe in you." Yes, and I think that, um, and I want to I want to state more clearly that for me it, for for me it's very much a trust in God, that something is unfolding here which is which 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 bears gifts and as hard it is as it is for us to see what those gifts are right now, um, there are there apparently are things that need to be clarified to us, um, you know, and you could you could um, you could moralize if we're speaking about more morals. You can moralize about the achdut, about the unity that Am Yisrael have, have 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 rediscovered here, and the reason I'm the reason I'm um, I'm uh, playing that down a little bit is because uh, you know the reason I see that as a little bit of a moralization is because um, I think that it's I think that it's that it's very limited. I think that it's it may not be long lived, and yet and yet and yet I think for many people it's been profound. And I think it's and, it's a real emotion. But I think it comes at the risk of eliding the very profound fissures that that threaten the Ahud. These are not superficial, childish arguments that were tearing our nation apart before this war broke out. And therefore, to think that a common enemy and a reminder that we're all in one ship will simply make those fissures go away is a mistake. That being said, I agree with you. It's a profound experience, emotional experience of Ahud. Whether it's going to cause us to reconsider our positions, our behaviors, our fundamental beliefs, we, that's yet to be seen. Well, I think that what, I, what I'm hoping is that it will not cause us to re-examine not our fundamental beliefs of, of what we believe in, but our fundamental beliefs about the other's value and values. That's you know the place where we can rediscover that there are underlying values that we share that override our differences. You know, like for instance, I will, I will go into war and put my life on the line for your safety. Um, and I feel like that's, that's the shared experience is that, and it's not simply that we're in it together. It's, 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 you know, I think that, I think it's more than we're in it together. It's a certain kinship and brotherhood that's been, that's been touched, which is, which is very real. And, 
and which which we had we had undermined. We had we were, we were we were really on the verge of descending into total and utter hatred and um, and and perhaps even divorce. And you know, like you take a couple that are on the verge of divorce and all of a sudden face a crisis, and in that crisis they discover they love each other. It doesn't mean that the differences that 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 challenge their marriage beforehand have disappeared. It doesn't mean they're not going to need uh, months and perhaps years of counseling, but it could make all the difference in the world that that moment of discovery. So I want to pivot a little, pivot a little, excuse me, toward that question of action, um, because we're we're sitting on a question of action, and 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 that's really my um, hesitation about a wholehearted commitment to the middle path. Not that I have any argument with the with the idea that emunah is a faithfulness to God, and our belief in Am Yisrael is really what we're called to. But can we act? We're faced with a question right now between destroying our enemies. It's not even a question between. There are two things, two tasks facing us, destroying our enemies and bringing our captives home. Do you think it's possible with this moderate worldview to fight a war against enemies who are anything but moderate? No, I don't think that. I, I think that the, a moderate worldview doesn't doesn't have confusion about, about Hamas and about radical Islam, but it's able to hold the fact that in the in the midst of that picture of um, Hamas and radical Islam, there's also there, there are, there's also a broader picture of um, of Arabs and Palestinians and um, and suffering, and um, and also the the need to 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 begin to um, to imagine resolutions in which thousands of people from both sides aren't dying, even if we can't, even if even if, but you know, I think. The, the possibility of compromise is um, is you know has to be held dear and close, even if it might seem very far away, uh, because because I think we've seen that um, that it's done us well with with, with other with, with with other countries, and that what you know when when uh, you know the possibility that that a leader that, that that a Palestinian leader could come along, who's able to envision a better future for his people. Not by becoming a, an avid Zionist, but by accepting a compromise, a temporary compromise, and allowing the human beings in this region to evolve over another course of, it takes cultures and societies time to grow up, time to evolve to a point where they're sophisticated enough to let go of a certain. To, to, I mean, even just just say we lost. You know, I think that at, at some point there may be a leader mature enough, and there and there may be a a, a, a window in which in which um, in which. Uh, a sense and desire for life will lead um, a, a critical mass of, of, of the Palestinian uh, community to own up to the fact that that on the, on, on the existential level of is Israel going to be here or not, we've lost. And how long do we want to continue to pay the, the price of these religious fanatics who are who are railroading us into these into these wars, which we can't win? There's been a many people who have offered the image of denazification as perhaps the only road to that, meaning that Berlin went in the space of half a century from being the greatest threat to world peace to, let's just say, one of its social economic, you know, dynamos. I just wonder, and I guess we'll have to leave it as a wonder, whether we have it within ourselves. I mean, I hear the need for the Palestinian people to grow up and admit that they lost and and hopefully then to move beyond that sort of zero-sum struggle and saying that we're going to still, you know, fight to the death and the, the foolish nobility of uh, 
of sacrificing their children and their future to some illusion of regaining honor through beating us. But I also wonder, again, to go to this place of moral clarity, do we as a people have a sense of maturity enough to exercise power to the degree that we can facilitate order in our land without falling prey to the radicalism? And that, and you know, meaning, because I think we could exercise power quite well if we tell ourselves a story about elimination and rejection and, you know, all the... Uh, the darker sides of of um, our tradition they're they're very real there but i i think that um i think that that's a that's only half of the action question i wanted to ask the other the other one is it's on everyone's mind right now and by the way stop me cuz i'm just going to ping pong around right now i, well, I maybe, me maybe, you and I, the rest I, I, yeah I you want to respond that i would like that? to respond i respond to yeah. your first your first thing and, and just say that just share that to my mind um we are responding with power um uh, more or less appropriately and that more or less may may be a dramatic more or less in other words it could be we could have done much better but but uh, the um you know ultimately uh, we're, we're 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 at war we're 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 um drawing a, lot, a line in the sand, and we're doing our best to navigate a very, very complicated equation of, of uh, a very, very complicated hostage situation. And I think time will tell, but um, you know, exercising power includes restraint. It doesn't, it's not, you know, and uh, I think that, I, and I also think that the extremism that's being born um, is, that, is at the margins. I know that there's like, there is Jewish extremism that's- that, that's, Oh, it's that's, very much at the margins. It's very and, much uh, at the margins. Yeah. So you're hearing my frustration. You know what you're hearing is my lack of faith in our leaders that we're actually in, be it tomorrow or in a few more days, going to actually go back to the real purpose of going to war, which is to destroy evil. I think I might have said it to you last time. I will never forget during the second intifada, listening to Rav Riskin give us sheer Klali, giving a class to the entire yeshiva, saying that the most clear moral statement in the Torah is Habbamach Teret, right? That the person who tunnels into your house knowing that you're there, right? The 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 Umar says like uh, someone who kills you, you should get up and early and kill them first. And here we literally are facing those who are coming Bimachteret in tunnels. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Ravarn, that that our leadership will not carry forward the moral clarity necessary to actually destroy Hamas as a political and military entity. And I just, I'm just afraid. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely hear your fear. I don't believe that our, our political leadership are driven, uh, are driven by, by a moral compass. You know, I'm not saying that they're, that they're completely immoral. I'm not saying that they don't have, that there aren't values in play, but their primary considerations, uh, you know, what do, what do I know? What's in the hearts of other men? But um, but certainly my 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 gut tells me that we don't have worthy leadership, and um, and, that, and I, that's what I started with. I don't I don't, I don't think we can play, place our faith in our in our leaders, but at the same time, I, I, I just want to say that there's a there's a part of me which is proud of how we've conducted ourselves so far, and and the vote's not in yet in terms of where we're going to go, and. Um, and it's it's far from perfect. There may be things I would have done differently, but there's also a tremendous amount of information that I don't have that, 
that uh, to, to make those judgments. So, so let's let's touch that other piece, the pidyon shvuim, right? The redemption of captives. There's been a lot of talk about this, obviously lately, um, and I think you know people with with a Jewish education are probably familiar with the notion that in many places the redeeming of captives is characterized as, as the highest form of of tzedakah, of a sort of a righteous action. Um, and yet we're all also often familiar with the notion that that redeeming captives for a price which is deemed um, unreasonable undermines the principle of its importance because of the fear, that, of course, that by redeeming them for, for an inflated price, you simply encourage evil to snatch more people. Here we are. Here, here we are today, watching these beautiful, painful, gut-wrenching scenes of thank God every person, every child, every woman, every man that's 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 saved is a whole world. There are literally, at this point, still hundreds, two hundred other captives, as far as we know. You know, there's an element of uncertainty here, which is a looming issue. Um, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? I don't know. I can imagine that we are doing the right thing. You can, you say, you can imagine. I can, I can imagine that we are doing the right thing. Um, I think that the equations, it's very hard to be an armchair general. The equations of, of what, what's the price of this pause? What's the price of forging ahead? Um, these are not only military equations. These are also strategic international relationship equations sure. and um, the threat of the threat from the North and the threat from Iran and the threat from Yemen and the, the role that the United States is playing in, in, um, in uh, all of those things, in all, in all of those things and the pressure from the United States to, um, you know, mitigate, the civilian ca- casualties in Gaza, and you know, none of us knows what 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 the bottom line of any of these decisions is. Okay, but leaving those things aside, I'm asking, in terms of hierarchy of values, in terms of hierarchy of values, it's a huge moral dilemma. There is no clear answer to it, and that's exactly what the halacha says: you redeem shuim except for more than they're worth, which is a completely re- which is completely judgment based. How do you de- how do you how do you decide what's more than they're worth? If you don't know the value of the currency, if you don't know the, the so so it's true on the one hand that that you can say this, this will only give birth to more to more to more similar attacks to to, to and and at the same time you know what's the moral price of Israelis not not feeling that their country is going to is going to do everything they possibly can to bring them back if they're taken captive? What's the price of soldiers going into war? Knowing that if they're taken ca- captive, um, they're, they're, they're they're a lost cause. What's what's the cost of a demoralized society? Because there are there are families marching in the streets saying that their country has abandoned them. So um, it, it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult. I that's why I said I can imagine that we've been making the right choices. I don't know that we've been making the right choices. Um, I think that it's, I think we have to be very careful of, I, I think that it's impossible to ever know whether you've made, when, when you're faced with a, with, a, with a deep moral dilemma, how do you decide, um, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what illnesses to put in the salbriyut of Medinat Israel? you know, what's, 
what's an affordable life-threatening disease to 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 to, 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 to you know, to invest millions of dollars in fighting it, and what's what's a not affordable life threatening disease to afford to, to to invest millions of dollars? You know, people have this idea that if you just ask the high, the biggest rabbis in the world, they'll be able to give you an answer and know hundred percent that their answer was correct. That is a fiction. That is a fiction. You, it's you, a comforting you, fiction. It's a comforting fiction, but it's not the case. I mean, I know rabbis who sit on committees in hospitals to make these decisions, and they make the decisions. I'm sure doctors are in the same boat. And they go to sleep at night not knowing for sure that they made the right decision, and uh, it's 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 agonizing. I'll tell you something that I always try to encourage uh, both my students and my and my counseling uh, in my counseling with people I work with is that um, a real moral decision is usually between two bad options. It's generally not a moral decision when you're faced with a good option and a bad option, and unless you just refuse to look it in the face. A real moral decision is seeking the least bad option. And and again, that's demoralizing. And and what I'm looking for is the source of emuna, of faithfulness to a moral clarity that will yeah. lift us out of not the reality of our situation to that fiction that you're speaking about, that if I just find the right rabbi or or the right leader, the right politician that will tell us march this way and and you know, but but rather that I can find that place within myself of clarity that that the right thing to do is to make the choice and then to strive with all my might to make it the right choice. And to a certain point, once you've made the choice, you need to put to the side, not not really ignore, but you need to put aside the question of whether it was right or wrong and need to do everything you can to make it right. So let me share a Saudi sharing with you from uh, two weeks ago. Great. This is Just try, try, try to speak uh, in general language for those who... Who, okay. who don't know the Saudi Sharim? So this is um, this is a uh, a, um, a Torah insight from one of the more radical um, traditions of Hasidic of Hasidic thought, uh, the the Hasidut of Ishbitz, and um, what the, what the what this particular Rebbe writes is that um, Abraham Abraham his orientation was was loving kindness and he had an expansive um, orientation towards the world in which he did anything which came up for him to do he never hesitated mm -hmm. and that's in the nature of loving kindness because he figured if i'm supporting life it's self-evident to me that this world was created by a god who loves life so it just must be good don't hold back <laughs> don't hold back um, his son yitzchak his orientation was one of boundaries and and um, this teaching says that Yitzchak hardly did anything because he refused to do anything that he wasn't absolutely 100% sure was God's will. Mm. And sure enough, there are very few descriptions, very few stories in the life of Yitzchak. He apparently didn't do much. You know, it's uh, if you're afraid that you're gonna you're gonna step on an ant on Shabbat, you don't leave. You don't you don't walk very you don't, you don't walk any very much. You know, so if you're not 100% clear, clear. So he only wanted to do what was clear, what was mivura, what was what was clearly um, worked through and and established as being um, correct, as being true. Yaakov figured out that what you have to do is do your best. You have to figure out what's right to the best of your ability. And then when you get to the point where you're no longer capable of figuring out whether 
you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, you have to trust that God will do the rest. So he is able to transcend the, the uh, frozenness of his father and once again begin to engage the world uh, because, he's, because he says, I'm just, I'm going to do my best and my, my, my investment, my investment in this relationship with God and my willingness to engage this world and not play it safe will summon the partner and will invite the partner and, and um and God will do the rest. So I feel like I feel like that he's speaking to, to your question directly. And um, it's a beautiful it's a, it's a beautiful description of of I think what we're trying to do right now. Again, unfortunately politicians are are um, you know the system there's, there's something wrong with the system and I feel like we're still you know that's a, that's a whole other subject but but um, we'll get there because someday I will force you to create a political party. <laughs> well, I don't know if we, I don't know if we, what we need is the right political party. What we might need is a difference is, is some sort of correction in the system. Yeah, well, um, that for sure we need. <laughs> that yeah. for sure we need. So, part of what I hear you saying there is it's another face of Amuna, another face of faithfulness. Is that really Amuna begins with faith in yourself? Not that you're always going to be right or that you're always going to do the right thing, but that you're capable of being right and doing the right thing. And therefore, your amuna in yourself leads to you to engage the world. And through that engagement in the world, it essentially invites God to come in as partner. So there's a two-step process of the amuna. The faith in yourself that leads you to take action, even in the face of uncertainty, opens up a space for your faithfulness to God that indeed the world can be infused with the divine will. Well, it's I think that the crucial piece there is, is the um, is the faithfulness to your own values. To know that what's driving you, to know that you are engaged, deeply engaged in trying in the Beirut, in trying to clarify where is this coming from. So that when I was asked by a representative of the families of the kidnapped um, kidnapped uh, Israelis to issue a public call for to do everything for their return. I said, I, will, I, I can only do that if, if, if you feel comfortable with my stating clearly that the decisions that have to be made are complicated, that it's not a simple equation. And when they, when they told me that, that, that they were okay, despite the fact that some of my colleagues criticized that if you're making the call, it sounds like you're criticizing the government for not doing everything they, everything they can. And that's been leveraged to the protest that criticism is leveraged at the families you know what do you think we're not doing everything we can the very slogan bring them home puts the burden on the government as opposed to elsewhere which which are the only agents and the government is the only agents that can make a difference in this equation you're not you're not going to tell Hamas give them back (laughs) i mean it's it's kind of pointless (laughs) yeah you can, and you can pray to God, and you can pray to God, and and, and you can and put a put, finger in the world's face. Yeah, that's right, and and yet and yet the decision makers here are the government, and and so, so um. So I decided to to, to issue to, to issue the call, and I put a video on Facebook. People can find it on my profile if they want. It was very short, and um, and it included the words "bring them home," which is directed at the government. And it included an acknowledgement on my part that I would not want that, that I don't I don't envy the decision makers. 
um, in the in this equation. That's for sure. And um, and the reason I issued that call is because is because I knew that it was it was resting on on sincere and clear values, and it was and it was and it was bringing the the complexity of the situation. And and I and I chose not to be frozen. I felt it was. I also felt it was very important. As I said, it was very important that the families not feel abandoned. That they feel mm-hmm. that their people are standing with them. I want to crystallize this for people because I think it's very important. The path that you're laying out is that the antidote to demoralization. Can you tell what I'm struggling with? <laughs> the antidote is first and foremost to look deep in yourself and see where am I struggling. What are the values? that are in conflict within me that I feel are causing me to, to lose momentum because I'm characterizing one of the symptoms of demoralization as a inability to act. And another one is a lashing out in anger or a sense of despair and hopelessness and, and uh, lack of agency. And so the first step is to say, well, let's get my inner issues on the table and do that bearer, that clarification. Let's be honest with myself. What am I actually struggling with? And once I can put those pieces on the table, and be honest with myself of what I'm struggling with. Then I have to summon up a faith in myself that I am capable of acting and making good decisions, even within a limited realm. Like you're saying, you couldn't go and bring those hostages home, but you could make a decision about, is your voice rightly put here? Is your voice rightly put there? Within our realm, all of us are capable of doing something. and But we're only going to do it when we're able to look honestly at ourselves and say, well, why? If, if it was obvious to me, it was a moral call I would be doing already, right? So, so it begins with that laying on, that internal honesty, and then it comes it becomes a faith in myself that actually I'm capable of being faithful to those values and making a good decision, even though I recognize that it could be wrong because real moral decisions are made in complex choices between least bad situations. But then there's a deeper faith, and and that's that um, the if I'll put it in my words, if the world has religious problems right now, then there are also religious solutions. Or I'd say it better, if the world has spiritual issues right now, then then the healing is going to come from the spirit. Um, and, and and that means that through my action, I'm evoking a space in which God can act and, and have a hope and a faithfulness to that hope that, like you said, that the human project is a positive forward-moving project and uh to quote our sages i may not get to finish the work but neither can i desist from the port the part i've been given in it is that a fair crystallization of uh of this path that you're painting yes it's a it's a it's, it's helpful for me also to hear it reflected back thank you for that um i i think it's missing it's missing one piece great for me and that is the secret that we learn on Pesach of being able to also transcend a particular point in history that you're in and still celebrate, still celebrate the fact that you know that things will once again be good and joyous and happy. Shlomo Karabach said it about the Pesach, I trust your chesed, I trust your loving kindness, God, so I will rejoice in your salvation. And the way he read that is, I will rejoice in the salvation that has yet to come because I trust your chesed. When people came to me and, and asked, how can you possibly be dancing on Shabbat in your shul? I said, you know, we're, we're not only connected to this moment, 
the Jewish path means we are living in a particular moment in time, but we're also connected to a bigger to a bigger picture and to an eternity, and we're actually there also right now. Uh, we're called to be to be present there as well. And what do you think that you think that Jews didn't celebrate holidays in, in the ghetto, um, or you know they they did, and um, they did because they were because they were Jewish because because we're, we 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 have a certain our our souls are rooted. In, the, in an eternal, on a, a, a dimension of eternity, and not only in, a, in within this particular pixelated moment of time. Well, I don't think that really we could end on a more important note than that. That a reminder that uh, on the prosaic level, just like all my Holocaust survivor relatives built beautiful eyes and had children and grandchildren and planted gardens and and helped build the state of Israel on the prosaic level and on the deeper level. That, that what it means to have a soul is to be connected to the eternal, and that's outside of time. And there's no greater source of joy and hope and optimism than that. So, Rev. Arn Lewis, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me, and I'm sure that anybody else listening will benefit as much as I have in this short space of time. If people want to know more about the work that you do or, or wanted to reach out in order to support your work, how would they do that? The best thing is to connect with me on Facebook. I know that there are there are other popular uh, social well, networks. That's out there. our generation. <laughs> I can only hold one. I'm only capable of holding one. Um, but there's actually some interesting things coming up uh, in my life and uh, over the next couple of months, which will be unfolding and shared there. So, well, God willing, we'll have, we'll have to do another show when when that becomes uh, when there's a it was a what's called a heter pirsum when we're allowed to when we're allowed to announce that to people. Then uh, I'd like to be amongst the first to be a platform for you you got it i would love that all right well god bless stay strong we're praying um for the return of all captives for the healing of the wounded for the comfort of the souls of the lost for the victory of our people now and eternally which really is the mission of bringing god's light to the world so that there can be healing for us all let it be soon let it be now Um, if people want to reach me i'm rob mike foyer gmail.com you can check out the new project jewishheroism.com Launch is coming up on Monday, December 4th. You may listen to this afterwards, but you can check out the recording on jewishheroism.com. You can also find me on Facebook. I want to thank the Pardes Institute for throwing the doors to the Beit Midrash open as wide as possible. I want to thank the Land of Israel Network. They're building a center for global transcendence in the heart of Judea. And I want to thank you for listening. I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is the Jewish Heroism Project.